Hello, this is the Buddhism Guide podcast, and I'm Kami Yeshi Rabge. You can find more of my podcasts, as well as blogs, videos, and guided meditation practices at buddhismguide.org. If you wish, you can support future episodes of this podcast by going to patreon.com forward slash Buddhism Guide. I hope you enjoy this podcast. In this uh, episode, which is called uh, 37 Practices of a Buddhasattva, Part 2, I'll be talking about verses 3 and 4. So in Part 1, I mentioned uh, the definition of Buddhasattva. So the definition I'm using here is that a Buddhasattva is an ordinary person, like you and I, that is on the path to awakening. So it's on a path to awaken their mind. So there are two main qualities about this Bodhisattva, and that is wisdom and compassion. You can't have wisdom without compassion, and you can't have compassion without wisdom. They go together. If you see that uh, you are this Bodhisattva, and you have two wings, and one wing is wisdom, and one wing is compassion, and with these two wings, then you can fly high. But if you only had compassion, the one wing, then you will never be able to fly. Or if you only had wisdom, again, you wouldn't be able to fly. So we need both of these wings. So a bodhisattva is a person that has wisdom and compassion. And the wisdom and compassion we will get by doing these, following these 37 practices. So let's look at verse 3. The practice of all the bodhisattvas is to take to solitary places, avoiding the unwholesome, so that destructive emotions gradually fade away. And in the absence of distraction, virtuous practice naturally gains strength. Whilst with awareness clearly focused, we gain conviction in the teachings. So let's just break this down. So it says that a Bodhisattva will go to uh, solitary places, and he goes to these solitary places to avoid unwholesome actions, and uh, destructive emotions will fade away. So people talk about what is purpose in life. So. I would say there's no real purpose, but one of our main aims in life is to try to um, get rid of these destructive emotions. So in Buddhism, we talk about the three poisons, the attachment, aversion, and delusion. They are the three main um, poisons or three main destructive emotions we talk about. But actually, in normal life, there's so many poisons. We have jealousy, we have pride, we have revenge. We have all of these destructive emotions. So a bodhisattva will take himself away to a solitary place where they can look at their mind, where they can work on their mind, where they can look at their inner thoughts, contemplate, meditate, reflect, 
so they can slowly but surely deal with these destructive emotions and let the destructive emotions go. So, of course, normal people, they can't just get up and go to a solitary place. But I think we have to, in our lives, think that one time in my life, in the future, I will go away somewhere solitary and I will work on my mind. But until that day, you can take a couple of hours, half a day or a day, and do solitary. Sit in your room and just sit quietly. Don't engage, turn the phone off. Don't let people disturb you. And just sit and contemplate and reflect and look at your inner self. Look at your destructive emotions. Is it attachment that bothers you the most? Is it aversion? Is it delusion, jealousy, pride? What is it? Because once we know what it is, we can sit and we can contemplate and we can work on that. So we don't have to go up into a cave or into a forest or up into the top of a mountain to find solitude. We can actually find solitude in our life by just keeping away from people for one day or half a day. But as I said, you should look to in the future, think I will go away for a set period of time in the future when all my responsibilities are all over, when my children have grown you know, before retirement. But when you have less responsibility, go somewhere, go into solitude. Because it's only from that, it's only from keeping yourself away from unwholesome things that then you can start to work on your destructive emotions. If we stay and try to stay in the normal world and we try to work on these uh, destructive emotions, more and more emotions come because we're engaging with so many different things what people are saying to us, what we're reading, what we're seeing, what we're hearing, all of these things are playing on our mind. So when we go into solitary, there is nothing. We're not hearing anything, we're not reading anything, we don't have phones, nobody to talk to. So all we will have is ourselves. So then we have time and the leisure to work on ourselves. But we can only do that in solitary. But I will say here that what it doesn't actually mention here, but as a Bodhisattva, if we have compassion, then we have to come out of that solitary. We can't just be like a yogi and go and sit in the cave for the rest of our life and not come out and then we die in the cave. Because that's selfish. Because if you're going to go into solitary and you're going to have some wisdom, and you're going to get some realizations, then we have to come out. And then we have to then start um, teaching this wisdom, start helping people. I mean, that's a compassionate thing to do. You know, anybody can go somewhere, lock themselves away for the rest of their lives and not deal with anybody and not see anybody, then of course, then you're going to be nice and peaceful and relaxed. But it's not a Bodhisattva thing to do because it's not a compassionate thing to do. You will get a lot of wisdom by locking yourself away like that, going into solitude. A lot, a lot of wisdom. But like I said, if you've got the wisdom without compassion, then it's not true wisdom. You have to have both. 
So you'll have to come out of that solitude after a while. When we go into solitary, our mind becomes clear. Because our mind settles down. It's like, you know, water and mud mixed in a bucket. You just leave it settle and the mud will go to the bottom and the clear water will stay at the top. That's what our mind will become when we have these times of solitude. I know people are married, they have commitments, they have responsibility, so they can't just lock themselves away for six months or a year. But you can do for four hours, five hours, six hours, one day. You can arrange that. Maybe you arrange in your life one day a month, I will just go and I will stay in this room and I will not be in contact with anybody and then I'll just work on my mind. We can do that. And that's a good starting point. But you have to keep in the back of your mind that one day I will actually go away. And I will actually go on long-term solitude and really work on my mind. Because it's only once you've sorted out your mind can you help people. You know, if people's minds are all disturbed and they come to you, and your mind is also disturbed, how are you going to help them? You're just going to disturb each other. You'll make matters worse. So it's only when we have this wisdom, it's only when we have this understanding that we can actually help another person. Try to do short periods of solitude until you're in a position to do longer periods of solitude. So then verse 4 says, the practice of all the bodhisattvas is to renounce this life's concerns for friends and relatives, long acquainted, must all go their separate ways. Wealth and prized possessions, painstakingly acquired, must all be left behind. And consciousness, the guest who lodges in the body, must in time depart. So, everything has to go. In the end, there will be nothing. So the final verse here is, and consciousness, the guest who lodges in the body, must in time depart. Well, with consciousness, it's a little confusing. Put awareness in there. So when our brain stops working, we have no awareness of anything. When we die, our awareness has gone from the body. So our body is just a vehicle to carry this awareness around, yeah? So even that has to go. Our friends, our family, our possessions all have to go. If you look at life, there is nothing in life that has any solid substance. Everything in life lacks substance. Everything is forever changing. Everything is impermanent. And it's from that impermanence that we can grow that we can change. If things weren't impermanent, so things were, all things were permanent, there would be no change in our life. There would be no new discoveries. There would be nothing in our life because everything would be set. So the way you are is the way you are. The way you're thinking at that moment is the way you'll think for the rest of your life. You know, people look upon impermanence as a sad thing and something that brings them pain and suffering. But it's a, such an important thing. You know, you wake up in the morning with a headache, you don't want the headache for the rest of your life. 
that headache will go. And it'll go because of impermanence. So impermanence isn't just a bad thing. But it is the only constant thing in our life is that everything is changing. Moment to moment, everything is changing. We need to try to let go of our attachments to life. As I've mentioned before on several occasions, attachment is our worst problem. Attachment is the one thing that causes us more problems than anything else in our life. I mean, there are many things, there are hundreds and hundreds of things that cause us problems, but attachment is the number one thing that causes us problems. We get attached to absolutely everything. And if we're not attached to it, then we have aversion to it. So either we're holding on too tight to it, or we're pushing it away. But so many things you're getting attached to. And if you just sat and just uh, took this time in solitude and just looked at that, a good way to, to look at that is to go into solitude and see what are you missing? Who are you missing? Because the people you're missing, the things you're missing, are the things, you'll get are things you're attached to. So if you go away for one whole day and you miss your phone or you miss WhatsApp or Facebook, then that's what you're attached to. If you go and you miss the cricket or you miss uh, your friends or you miss your children, then that's the thing you're attached to. So going away into solitude, it's also helped with your attachment because you now know exactly what you are attached to. Because a lot of the time, we're not aware that we are attached to it. Because we kid ourselves and we say, no, I'm not attached to them, I love them. But actually, you probably do love them, but you're also attached to them. We can have love without the attachment, yeah. So when we go into solitude, it helps with that. It helps let go of that attachment. Understanding our friends and our relatives are not going to be here forever. They are also impermanent, so life is going to change. We have to understand that we're going to be separated from everything and everyone. All that money that you have nicely staved away in your bank account, the moment you die, that ceases to be your money. So you've built up this huge amount of money in your bank. And the moment you take your last breath, that is now somebody else's money. That lovely house that you had built, that beautiful big car you have, all those wonderful clothes, everything you own, the moment you take your last breath, none of that is yours anymore. All that belongs to somebody else now. So all the time and effort and pain and all your attachment and all your jealousy and all your pride that you've taken to hold on to all these things, at the time of death, it's all gone. It is no longer yours. So just imagine how much time we're wasting on something that is not going to be ours, that will be completely gone when we take our last breath. We have to try to do reflective practice, meditation, mindfulness, just to try to tame our minds, 
to make our minds a little calmer so we can see clearly at the things that we're getting attached to, at the things we're holding on to. Because soon at the end of our life, everything is gone, everything is behind us. We have to prepare ourselves for these things. On your last uh, few breaths, you're going to have regret. You're going to regret that you didn't say this, or you regret that you did say this, or you didn't do that, or you regret that you didn't write a will and who's going to get my money, or that I don't like this side of the family and I know they're going to fight with that side to get money. I mean, we don't want that at the time of death. So we have to prepare ourselves. Things that are trapping us, things we're getting entangled with, these things we have to look at clearly and start to let them go and start to understand, okay, I love my new iPhone, it's wonderful, but I know that it's just here for a short time and I'll use it for that, that period of time, but it's not going to last. And the same with people, the same with your, the rest of your possessions, the same with your wealth. When we get attached to friends and family, and wealth and possession. At the time of death, they can't help you anymore. So your friends and family that you're getting so attached to, that they can't help you. And in fact, a lot of the time, at the end of your life, they're harming you. They're around your bed, they're all crying, oh, don't go, don't go, oh, I love you, I miss you. And it's making worse for you, and you're thinking, oh, no, I don't want to go. So instead of those friends and family that you've built up for such a length of time and put so much effort into and getting attached to, they're the ones that on your deathbed are going to actually harm you and not help you because they're going to be crying in that. They're going to be whispering in corners. They're going to be planning in their mind when he's gone, I'm going to have this and I better get his bank account and... Uh, I better make sure I get a death certificate so we get all his money. They're not going to help you at the time of death. The only thing that can help you at the time of death is the practice you've done up to that moment. And if you think that, okay, I know that I've got, I'm going to die in two or three weeks, then I better start practicing, then it's too late. Yeah? The time to do it is now. So a Buddhisattva a person who is on the path to awakening would spend time in solitude so they can look at these attachments, look at the aversion, look at the delusions, sort out their destructive emotions. We're not talking about happy emotions. We're not talking about happiness, contentment, gratitude. These are all positive. We're talking about the negative and the destructive emotions. Happiness is not going to destroy you. It won't actually make your life that much better because happiness will change. It doesn't last. It's impermanent like everything else. But it's not a destructive emotion. Whereas anger, hatred and uh, ignorance and jealousy and pride and attachment, these type of emotions are going to cause you problems. So a Buddhisattva a person on this path to awakening will find time to sit in solitude and look at these things 
and work these things out, not just for their own selfish well-being, but for the well-being of all sentient beings. So when they come out of that solitude, they've worked on their attachment. They understand that their friends and family are not permanent. They understand their belongings are not permanent. Their wealth is not permanent. They've understood this, not on a, an intellectual level, but on a wisdom level. With this wisdom, they want to go out and share this wisdom so they can um, show compassion for all sentient beings. So solitude is about that. So uh, try to set some time aside each month for solitude and just work out and just see what you miss. Even if you don't go in solitude, just think that if I went away for four months or six months, how would that feel? And no doubt, then all these people will come into your mind, all the people you're attached to. Oh, I can't do that because actually I've got a wedding coming up and oh, I can't do it just yet because it's their birthday and oh no, I can't do it yet because of this and that. That just shows if you sit down and think, okay, tomorrow I'm going to go away for six months and the things that are stopping you are your attachments. And it's a great way just for you to see what things are holding you back. Because believe me, those attachments are holding you back. Those weddings, those birthdays, those parties, those friends, those possessions, your wealth, are all holding you back. They're obstacles on this path to awakening. Nobody's mind has ever become awakened while they're attached to friends and family and country and home and possessions and wealth. Nobody can awaken because your mind is like foggy. You can't see clearly because of all this aversion, attachment and delusion. So solitude is a way for a bodhisattva to actually see through these delusions, clear their mind and come out and then teach what they've realised. This is the end of this podcast, but don't forget, you can find more of my podcasts at buddhismguide.org. Thank you so much for listening, and until the next time, bye.